Now, our second reading, as Peter mentioned, is from 1 Samuel 15. This is the NIV version. It's got to focus a bit. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you. Whoops. Yep, I'm the one who the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now, go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so they do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest... Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul said. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord appointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But Saul... But I, but, 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 but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission. 
the Lord assigned me, I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, <coughs> Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains and he thought, surely the bitterness of death is past. But, but Saul said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agad to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gilbah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. In some reading. Thanks, mate. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Isaac. If you don't know me, I'm one of the youth pastors here at Richmond Anglican Church, and it's my privilege to be able to open the Bible today. We're continuing our look at the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. We've been tracking how God gave the Israelites the prophet Samuel, how the Israelites demanded their own king, how God gave them a king, and today we're going to see that first king fail. We're going to see his kingship become untenable. Please pray with me before we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be softening our hearts now to hear and receive your word. We pray that you'll mould our hearts, our spirits, and our actions so that we may glorify you and obey you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our two-year wedding anniversary, which was very exciting. So, of course, we were reflecting on our, you know, our marriage together in the last two years. And I was remembering how when you're engaged, everyone comes up to you and tells you how hard marriage can be. You, tell, you hear it from everyone. And I think in my, at least my engagement bliss, I didn't really believe it at the time. You're like, sure, that might happen to you, but surely not me. 
Well, I was wrong, I'm happy to say. And um, I've learned in the last two years that marriage can be really, really hard. Megan and I have had to learn to be patient and understanding with each other as we live together. That when Megan leaves the ice tray unfilled after emptying it, or when I, when I leave the pegs on the line after taking the washing off, it's not the end of the world. And of course, those are trivial things, but there's more serious things too, as I'm sure you all know. And so I've learned that as a husband and in relationships, I don't just want to do the bare minimum to hold that relationship together. I don't just want to be patient enough or just be forbearing enough so that Megan puts up with me for one more day. I know that I'm probably very, very difficult to live with. Rather than just doing the bare minimum to kind of hold our relationships and hold our marriages together, I want to love Megan and I want to serve her and I want her to be delighted and find joy in spending time with me so that it's not a chore but it's a delight and it's a joy and it's a joy for her when we spend time and share our lives together. We want to do just a lot more than just the bare minimum to hold our relationships together. We want our friends and our spouses to delight in us. Well in this passage in 1 Samuel 15 we find out What delights the Lord? How can we make the Lord delight in us? Clearly we see that Saul didn't make the Lord delight in him and we're going to find out what we can do to make the Lord delight in us. So we pick up this story today with the prophet Samuel delivering a message to King Saul. And the message is pretty simple. The message is this. King Saul, you must attack the Amalekites, leaving absolutely nothing behind. Now, if you kind of know your Bible well, you recognize this nation, the Amalekites. They were a people consistently hostile to God's people. They attacked the Israelites when they came out of Egypt before they went into the promised land. And God had promised before that they will be wiped out for what they've done. Well, that day has come. That's the simple instruction to King Saul from God. So from verse 4, and I'd love for you to follow along if your Bibles, or I think it might be on the screen behind me. We see that Saul gathers an army together and he attacks the Amalekites and he beats them fairly convincingly. So far, so good, we think. But in doing so, we quickly find out that he doesn't obey what God had said he had to do. God had told him in verse 3 to attack the Amalekites and completely destroy them, leaving nothing or nobody behind. But Saul, from verse 9, spares the king and the best of the sheep and the cattle. Whatever was good, they couldn't destroy from the plunder. God told Saul to destroy everything, leaving nothing behind, but Saul doesn't do as he was commanded. So look at verse 8 and 9. He took the king, and that Saul and the army took the animals when they shouldn't have. And we instantly find out in verse 10 that this is a devastating mistake. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet Samuel with, I think, those really, really, really sad words in, from verses 10 and 11. Have a look. It says this. God says to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Saul had disobeyed God and God was grieved by that. And I think so grieved that in our words, he's written the word regret. He's so, so saddened. And if the seriousness and the sadness of what's happened here is kind of still lost on us, 
I think Samuel's reaction is helpful. What does he do? It says he was angry and he cried out to the Lord the whole night. Samuel was distraught at what has happened here. It was serious. He knew the consequences of what Saul had done and it wasn't very pretty. So Samuel gets up, he sets out the next day to confront Saul about what's happened and to tell him the bad news that he is no longer king over Israel. Now, we're told in the meantime that Saul has built himself a monument in his own honour, which I think is telling about kind of what's going on in his heart, that he only cares about himself, that he's gone and built a monument to himself. So eventually... Samuel reaches Saul, and it's a pretty extraordinary confrontation. And thank you, Gary, for kind of bringing that to light for us. We kind of see this back and forth between um, Saul and Samuel there. Thank you for that, Gary. And it starts with this in verse 13. I think Saul is either completely naive, or I think he knows he's in trouble, and he tries to lead on the front foot to get ahead of it. Have a look at verse 13. It says this. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. He says this, I think, knowing full well that that's not what he has done. I think it's almost like a joke, really. It should kind of make us roll our eyes. Like, yeah, right, Saul, we all know you haven't just done that. And if the comical sadness of that situation is still lost on us, have a look at Samuel's response in verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? God had told Saul to leave nothing behind. He wanted, yep, including the animals. Yet he comes to Samuel and he says to Samuel, I've done exactly what the Lord commanded. Meanwhile, the animals he took are carrying on in the background. It's ridiculous, right? It's like a toddler trying to convince their parents that no, they didn't raid the cookie jar while standing there at midnight with cookie crumbs all over their T-shirt and the cookie jar next to them open. It's ridiculous. Now, Saul, knowing this is not good news for him, he tries to kind of play it off. He tries to justify what he's done wrong, his sin. He says that, A, I didn't do it, it was my army, And B, he says that, well, yeah, maybe I did do something wrong, but it was for good reasons. It was for good reasons. It was so we could sacrifice the animals that we took to the Lord. Surely God can't be angry at me for taking the animals because I took the animals for him. He can't be angry at me for that. I think it's a bit like this. It's like us saying, I did cheat on my income taxes this year, but it was okay because I gave the money to church. Or perhaps I did shoplift from Coles this morning and raided the bakery without paying for anything, but it's okay because we get to have that for morning tea. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Samuel says, and I think what we're all thinking in verse 16, enough, like just stop, you're digging yourself a bigger hole here, Saul. He tells him of his disobedience and again Saul attempts to justify himself and downplay. But in verse 26, we see the killer blow delivered. Samuel says to Saul in verse 26, You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. In this chapter, we see that Saul is clearly disobeying what God had said, and he attempts to downplay and justify it and kind of brush it off. And Samuel's response in verse 22 is pretty important. Have a look at verse 22. It says this, Samuel says to Saul, after he tries to justify his sin, he says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? It seems that Saul doesn't really fully understand the seriousness of his actions because in verse 30, even after he's been told that he can no longer be king of Israel because of what he's done, he makes quite an unusual request to Samuel. He still asks Samuel to honour him. He is still thinking of his own reputation, of his own honour, of how he's perceived by others, and he's still asking Samuel, please honour me. He's not acknowledging the seriousness of what he's done. And so Saul is cast aside as king. In this chapter, this first king of Israel fails. And the chapter finishes with those horrifying words again, the Lord regretted he had made Saul king over Israel. So we're brought to the end of Saul's kingship, this first king of Israel, and what can we learn? Well, at the start of this talk, we asked, what delights the Lord? How can we have the Lord delight in us? Is it just refraining from sin? Is it doing 80% of what God had commanded, like Saul did? Is it tiptoeing around the laws and the rules? Is it doing the bare minimum to kind of hold the relationship together? Well, what does Samuel say after Saul attempts to justify his disobedience and downplay what he's done? In verse 22 again, he says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? So what does the Lord delight in? He doesn't delight in offerings and sacrifices, in all the things we do as kind of outward signs of religion, but he delights in us obeying him much more than those things. So firstly, if that's what the Lord delights in, that's what we should want to do. We should not just try to do the least we can to keep our faith intact. We shouldn't just try to do the least we can so that our co-workers and friends could still kind of justifiably call us a Christian. We should want to go over and above that because we want God to delight in us, just like in our marriages, in our relationships. We want our friends and our spouses to delight in us, not just put up with us. We should wholeheartedly obey him. Not because of what we're scared of what's going to happen for us, but because we want God to be delighted in us. That's something that we should want in our hearts. And for Saul, this meant that he should have done what God commanded, even if he thought it wasn't right, and even if he thought he had a better idea. He should have done what was commanded of him in relation to the Amalekites. And for each one of us, it'll be different things. Not just doing the bare minimum but actually obeying God fully because we want him to delight in us. It might be doing more than just praying once a day to tick the box. You might get up, I've chatted to people at Scripture, at Richmond High, who have told me that each morning they get up and they say the Lord's Prayer, and so that's enough. And obviously saying the Lord's Prayer is a good thing, but for them it was just a tick the box, God's happy with me now. It was doing the bare minimum so that they could justify calling themselves a Christian. But we should want to go over and above that. Maybe for some of us, it might be being more generous with our time and money. Now, I think often, and I do this myself, I've got to give this much and give this much time so that I don't feel bad about myself and so others still think I'm doing the right thing. But we should be doing over and above that because we want God to delight in us. We want him to delight in us. 
The Lord delights in obedience, so we should obey him because we want him to delight in us. Secondly, if the Lord delights in obedience rather than burnt offerings and sacrifices, we shouldn't try and do what Saul does and downplay and justify our sin because of the acts of religion that we do, because of the offerings and sacrifices. Saul tries to justify his disobedience by saying it was okay because it was for sacrifice, whether that was true or not, I don't know. And I think sometimes in our life, we try to do that as well. We try and justify and downplay our own disobedience in our own life because of the things we do. It might be, you know, I serve at youth group every week. I take communion each week. I say morning and evening prayer every single day. I volunteer at Anglicare. I go to nursing homes to pray with people. I make sure I go to church every single week. I give a lot of my money. All these things are good things. It doesn't say that the Lord doesn't delight in offerings and sacrifices, but it says he delights more in obedience. So we shouldn't be trying to cover up what we're doing in our own hearts and our own heart and our own actions and our own intentions and motivations to God by what we're doing on the outside. God delights in obedience rather than those sacrifices and the offerings and the things we do. Rather than just participating in religious ceremonies and meetings, he delights in obedience. And thirdly, if we want God to delight in us, we must not do what Saul says and try to reduce and downplay our own involvement in our sin. You notice in the passage that at the beginning, it says Saul took the king of the Amalekites and Saul and the army took the cattle and the sheep. But then later on, when he's having this discourse with Samuel, he tries to say that his army took the animals. It wasn't him. He tries to throw off his own involvement in it. And often we too are like that. We know we've done wrong, but we try to reduce our own involvement to kind of justify what we've done wrong. Yes, I cheated on my taxes this year, but my accountant told me so, and I had a difficult year with the business because of COVID. So it makes it okay. You know, yes, I haven't been very generous this year with my time or my money, but I'm tired and I've had a lot of things going on. We should be people who own up to what we've done wrong, not because we're afraid, but because we have a God who promises to forgive us through Jesus. We shouldn't try and justify and downplay what we've done like Saul does. Now, lastly, and before we finish, when we read this passage, when I read this passage, I think I'm quite sad at what's happened here with King Saul. And I think that's the reaction we should have with those devastating words that the Lord regretted making Saul king. So I was quite sad when reading this. And Samuel was quite sad. He cried out to the Lord all night. He was distraught. But we know that this shouldn't be just a cause for despair, what we see here in 1 Samuel. And if you know 1 Samuel and Kings, it's a cycle that just goes on and on, that these kings fail over and over and over again. And we shouldn't despair because we know that these failed kings point to the perfect king, Jesus. Where Saul disobeyed, what does Jesus do? He obeys. Where Saul tries to follow his own agenda, what does Jesus do? He follows the Father's agenda. Where Saul tries to build a monument to himself in his own honour, St. Paul tells us that Jesus empties himself and made himself nothing. And I think this extraordinary fact should definitely not be lost on us in this fourth and final Sunday in Advent. That the king of the entire universe 
came to the world as a helpless baby. Not strong and powerful and mighty, but as a helpless baby. Yet we read, because Jesus lowered himself so much, he is exalted above every other name. So King Saul's failing, as sad as it is, it points us to Jesus, the perfect king. King Jesus, who doesn't try and honour himself, makes, instead he makes himself nothing. And instead of disobeying like King Saul, he obeys so far as to die on a cross, the most brutal punishment in the Roman world, so that we may be reconciled to God. King Saul's failings offer us hope, especially in Advent and at Christmas time, for King Jesus, who reconciles us to God through his death on the cross. Let's pray to finish. Heavenly Father, we know that you delight in obedience. So Lord, I pray that you'll use your spirit in our hearts so that we'll be motivated to do what you delight in, that we will obey you, not just doing the bare minimum, but doing it because we want you to be delighted in us. Lord, we pray that we won't try and justify and downplay our sins, but instead repent them openly, knowing that we are promised full repentance in Jesus. And we thank you so much for Jesus, especially at Christmas. We thank you that you sent him when we were in a hopeless situation, that he obeyed you even to the point of death on a cross. And we thank you that we can now be in a relationship with you again because of his sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.